Hey, hey, hey. This is the rest. The rest of my thoughts and the rest of our church. And hopefully some rest for you and maybe even your soul. Uh, Disclaimer, this broadcast, podcast, whatever cast you want to call it, is not a sermon. Not a sermon. These are my thoughts and interests, and these are your thoughts and your interests. The rest is a time for open and safe opinions and dialogue. And welcome. I am so glad to be back. The rest is a podcast that is uh, something that I had started and did for a while and then stopped for a while. And the reason that I started it and the reason that I titled it The Rest was because I wanted to give our church so much more than uh, what they kind of get in just a sermon in terms of content and, and, and dialogue and thoughts and uh, information and uh, just popular topics. And so there's, there's all this other stuff going on. There's the rest of my thoughts. There's the rest of of a sermon. There's the rest of the people in the church. You get to hear from me. You don't get to hear from everybody else. So the rest is about bringing staff members and church members and people who are experts in different fields, bringing all the rest of the voices to the table. And of course, there's that play on words that uh, hopefully in the midst of open and honest dialogue, that you could find the rest of your answers. Maybe you find the rest of, of, of the answers. Maybe you, you get something uh, that you've been wondering about and suddenly it clicks. Uh, maybe actually your relationship with God, because I am a pastor and this is a church and 514 Church is a church and it does have a vision and mission that is gospel-centered. So the rest is, I mean, you know, Jesus says that, you know, he's the rest, that he is, is the, the author of rest that uh, we're supposed to find our rest in him and that uh, he is the Lord of rest or Sabbath. And so there's so much that can be tied into the rest. And so what we're going to do with it is we're just going to dive in and go all kinds of different directions. And every single week, I'm going to uh, give you all several different segments that will be rotating in somewhat of a cyclical pattern, but could also feel random at times, but we're going to have different segments in the rest. And so, uh, I'm going to share with you what, uh, what we're going to hit today and what, uh, what a broadcast can look like and sound like, uh, today, what we're going to do is a section, um, a segment called footnotes and footnotes is, is just that it's where I take you into some of the sub commentary and subtext of message writing that I've done, uh, everything from details that I've left out, the rest of the message, uh, or, or things that can't be talked about in a 40-minute sermon. So it's the rest, it's the other stuff. Uh, with every single message and every single theological idea or biblical passage, what have you, there's so much more. In fact, like the, the art of sermonating, if you will, is simplifying. And man, honestly, I don't even know if I'm that good at it at times because there's so much going on. It's tough to whittle it down. And I, you know, probably in some people's minds speak too long. And I think that speaking succinctly and having good, um, economy of words is one of the things that just defines great communication. 
But at the same time, there's so much to cover. There's, there's more than just communicating in a sermon. There's, there's pastoring and leading and motivating and inspiring and reminding and, and bringing hope. And so it's not just about, um, you know, having the right amount of words and only saying what you say, need to say succinctly. It's about doing a whole job with a sermon. And so there's just always so much more uh, that, is, that is going into it. And uh, yeah, so there's going to be a part every week where I unpack a little bit of, of what's on my mind from a footnotes perspective. And then we're, we're going to have a great segment, which is hopefully the main segment of today uh, that's called The Maestro, where I get to bring in people who have expertise, people who have great burden, have great vision, people who have an ability to, to do certain things masters of their world and, 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 and their craft, if you will, or, or, a, or a certain thought bubble, whatever it is. And today I'm going to bring in a special guest, John McCambridge, who's on staff here, who is really the teaching pastor of the church. And we're going to talk about uh, something big that's going on in the church right now, and that should be great. And then we're going to end with a little bit of fun and talk about something that uh, I'm excited about, which is uh, during a segment that is just very, very creatively named I'm excited. Um, I don't know if it'll stay that way, but that's what it is. So without any uh, other time, we're going to kick this off with what I call the opening rant. The opening rant. I mean, this is, uh, this is going to be a lot because what I'm going to talk about is the podcast and why I stopped the podcast. And, and, and there's a story behind that. So started the podcast. I had some great episodes. They're still on the channel. You can go and listen to them where I had, you know, Barbara Huff come in and uh, during a segment called Faces, the rest of the church, the faces of the church. And she was a trader on Wall Street. And then we had uh Ohio Senator Jay Hottinger come in and talk about his perspectives on uh, what was happening in the world at the time and some political perspective, which which was really really great, and um, and leadership things. And you know, we did a, a bunch of different stuff. And what happened is the podcast got off to a good start, and then 2020 hit and COVID hit, and I never intended to stop actually doing the podcast, actually doing a broadcast and, and developing this, this piece of, of content for our church. But what happened to me is COVID hit. And if I'm honest, I was so disoriented. I was uh, overwhelmed by COVID. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't get it until Christmas of 2020. But in March and April and May, of 2020, when COVID hit, what happened is we, if you don't know this story, our church built a building and it was a huge project, a five-year undertaking, and we got the keys to the building, basically March 17th, uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day of 2020. We got the keys to the building. And then two days later, the world shut down. Uh, we, we could not really gather. We, we were in a brand new space with a brand new mortgage with a whole 
life of vision, if you will, for me and getting more people and having a great space and reaching people with, with, with what we're doing here. And then we're not allowed to meet. And then at the same time, uh, we're being hit with this global pandemic of sickness and uh, we're hearing about it. So there's this new measure of fear that's running through with, with, which is normal. This is what happens when you don't know what's happening in the world. So I got disoriented, uh, was fear. So I have kind of, you know, one person grabbing me, pulling me one way with a, a church that's opening and not reopening and not actually capable of opening. And then we've got a global pandemic, which is the, maybe the most confusing thing that ever happened in my life. And then what happened in the, in the early parts is, is, and then there was this massive racial eruption and tension in the, in the country because of the murder of George Floyd. And then there was also a president, uh, if you don't know, President Donald Trump, who was probably the most uh, polarizing figure politically in my lifetime for, well, I mean, at least, at least in the United States, however you want to say that, but it was this crazy, crazy time. I was completely disoriented and I just was at a place as a leader that I didn't have the facility. Um, I guess if someone would have come in into my house and said, you need to push further, you need to try more, you need to be more vocal, then I could have been persuaded potentially. But really, I, I did not know what to do. I was trying to do everything I could to just keep things level, to keep uh, my eye on the ball in terms of what, what do I know? So with, with COVID, there were so many questions. I didn't know what was true. There were people on political ends of the spectrum that had all these different ideas, and they were certain about those things. And funny enough, some of the people that were certain on either side of the political aisle have been proven to be you know, somewhat true, in some of them on both sides. But at the time, I didn't know that. I didn't know those things. And so I wasn't trying to be vocal or prominent about my hot take. It wasn't a good time to have a hot take. COVID, not a great time to, to, to like have this strong idea about what Wuhan was and, and how it all happened when, you know, my whole line of thinking is I don't know. So I was trying to actually just do what I knew and, and that's it. Just stay on task with, okay, I do know that regardless of the political spectrum, we're not about a political spectrum. We're about a king and he is in the middle of all of it. He's none of them. He doesn't represent any side of the aisle. He doesn't represent... Um, any particular government, um, the American government over the past 400 years is probably the greatest miracle in the history of governments. And even that has, uh, you know, grossly underperformed compared to what the kingdom of God and what Jesus is doing and what he will do. So there's really nothing that, you know, I was about except, okay, I got to be about Jesus. I got to be about people knowing him. And I really got to be about what that's about. If you know God and you love God, then you love people. And there was so much tension that what I was trying to do was really just soften everybody's sharp edges, keep everybody focused on loving one another, keep everybody focused on uh, empathy, keep everybody focused on trying to understand. I did a whole message about standing up for understanding and talked about how in any particular perspective, there's multiple angles that, you, you know, you think you could hear from a, a representative of a, of, of a party or, or someone that lives in, in, the, in a social space and they represent a group of people in, in the social world, whatever it is. Maybe it's a 
a business owner or you have like a, a, a student in college and you hear from them and they have an idea and it's so easy to go, that person speaks for all those people in that group of people in the subculture. And the reality is, is that they don't. And so you have to basically be open to constantly learning and understanding where people are coming from. And sure, there's general ideas and there's generalizations in all those segments of the population. But basically, it was just, I want to teach people to understand one another. I want to teach people to listen to one another. I want to teach people what I believe Jesus's response to this would be, to have compassion, uh, to care. And so that that is what I focused on. And in, during all that... I, 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 just even explaining it right now, of course, I just didn't feel I had the bandwidth to put out a bunch of my extra thoughts and create a pot. It just, it wasn't me. Now, there are people that did a much better job with COVID in, in that regard. I mean, I look back on it now and there's a part of me that I'm ashamed of because I'm going, you know, the world probably needed at least this little world that we live in, our church, and, and, and in general, the world needed some voices, needed some clarity, needed people to do more, and I was doing everything I could to put together messages that were helpful in, in the context at large, and so I just didn't have any more to offer, and that's the reality. I just didn't have more. I just, every single thought I had, I, I just, it, it came with a, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know if that's true. I don't, I don't know if I want to say that. I certainly don't want to put that out there. And I was doing a lot of learning and a lot of listening and being very disoriented. And then, you know, basically coming in and out of last year, things started to get a little more clear. Uh, I'm not saying that everything is all better. There's still constant problems and there's a lot of funkiness around the the, the COVID and, 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 uh, the vaccine and, and everybody's got all kinds of stuff. And there's more that we know now. And, and there's some different perspectives, but I do feel at this time, a little bit more clarity, a little bit more freedom and a little bit more of a burden to do more, to do more with my voice. And honestly, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot through the past two years and I feel like, uh, you know, I need to do more. I need to use my voice to help lead people. I need to have some discussions that I have offline, and I need to put them down. I need to, I need to record them. I need to give them, give them to people. Um, I'm not a journaler. You know, I don't write down all my thoughts. I don't even, like, actually write my sermons. I, I, they're sentence fragments and word ideas and it's kind of a, a, a you know, just a, a wild process that I have. So I don't collect my thoughts, you know, in a systemic way by writing. I, typically, I, I talk out loud and, and then and share out loud and then and then eventually my, my thoughts formulate, which is kind of how you learn. But like, uh, it all kind of comes to sermons. And uh, I want to I want to I want to document some of the things I think and feel I want to put them in, have them recorded. I want to have some of the discussions I think that need to be had in a certain context for the church. I, I, I think that uh, a sermon on a Sunday morning is like a very sacred 
important job and it's not a place to just air opinions and it's not a place to address every single cultural issue and it's not a place to you know have everybody's ideas it, this is a time where with sermon and with with writing sermons and homiletics in school we learn how to you know exegete text, rightly divide the word of truth, preach the word. And, and those things mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But like, in a sense, I've always felt the responsibility of the sermon is really for me to take the word of God, which is the bread of God, which is the life of God, which is the, you know, the, the living water, which is the, the Holy Spirit, which is the word of God, the scriptures, the narrative. And that's my time to, to feed people what God wants to hear. And so, of course, my head and my mind and my voice and my perspective plays into that. But I just, I never felt like, you know, all my sub thoughts and all my other stuff, that's not a place. Place for, for that with a sermon. So, but I do think there is a place in the church for a lot of great broad discussions that include a myriad of opinions that, that I have opinions about things that, that, you know, you, you may think don't line up with what I teach on a Sunday morning because, you know, it's just a place where maybe I'm musing about something. I'm thinking about something. I haven't solidified a thought. And I frankly don't think I have to have all my thoughts solidified. I think it's okay for pastors to share the process of discussion, but the right place for that is what I think this broadcast and this podcast is about. It's about airing out more, sharing more, asking questions you know, sermons are oftentimes, here's, here's what this says, here's what this means, here's what it means for us. In a way, it, comes, it can come off as a lot of just instruction and certainty, and this podcast is going to have some instruction, it's going to have some certainty, but it's going to have a lot of uncertainty, you know, where I don't know. And, uh, and that's okay, and here's a thought, and I want to be able to on this this uh, podcast to bring in people who really disagree with me and with maybe a, a Christian perspective or an idea that I have and share their perspective. I, I think that that needs to happen. I think that there are people in the church that obviously disagree or have different opinions or come from a different background. And so that's why it's called the rest. There's a whole lot more to life and it can all play into us becoming followers of Christ and, and working on that. And I think that the rest is part of that process. And so now I feel the burden to use my voice to, to have broader discussions, to bring more voices to the table, uh, to cover the rest of the material and the topics. And that's what we're going to do in this podcast. So um, that's a little bit of just a quick hit of, man, the last couple of years have been hard. They've been hard for all of us. They've been hard for me in a certain way. They've stunted me in a lot of ways. They've grown me in a lot of ways. And here we are now the next phase of life, I, I think we're on the threshold of it. And uh, in some ways we're better. I'm sure in some ways we're worse. And there's still the same mission of the church in front of us. So we're going to do that. So with this next part, I'm going to move into a segment that I, I told you about called Footnotes, where I unpack a little bit more of the sermon from Sunday. So let's go. Footnotes. 
So if you didn't hear the sermon or watch the sermon, basically what I'm doing is I'm, I'm in a, a series called Why Look at the Sky, which is a sermon series that's about the church and how the church needs to not stand around looking at Jesus as if the whole thing is done the, the way it, it, it is kind of painted in Acts chapter 1 where, where the disciples are standing and looking at the sky and, and the angels come and say, why are you standing and looking at the sky? He's going to come back. And, and the implications are that the last things that Jesus said was go and make disciples. And I, I have in, in my perspective and field of view that there's a lot of people who really believe that Christianity is, is not about what we do at all, that it's not about going and getting to work, but it really is all about this, this idea that you, you learn that you are in trouble from a sin perspective and that if you believe in Jesus, then you're saved, and that ultimately that means that when you die, your soul's going to go to heaven. And then that, that, that in the meantime, that's really it. It's all about salvation. And that's, that's overly simplified because even I grew up in, in a world that taught that and, and focused on salvation, and it was still that it was important to live a good life and to be virtuous and, and all those things, but it, it was not really what it meant to to uh, to be a Christian, to be a Christian was to be saved, and what this series is doing is is going no to be to be a Christian is to actually get to work and to get to the kind of work that's not salvific salvific work where you're trying to save your soul, but the kind of work that you were saved for, and so what I'm doing in this in the series is I'm taking us back to God's original design for humanity because salvation in a simple sense is really just God getting us back on track to his original design and purpose for humanity. And so if that original design was to sit around on a couch and, and you know, whatever, watch football, then, then God would have saved us to do that. But when we look at the Genesis narrative, we see the original design, and then salvation is we, we got in trouble, we got off that track. And so this week what I got into was what salvation is, that it is a gift, that it is you're in a pit, that there's no way out, and Jesus throws a lifeline down, and if you believe, you, he pulls you up out of that pit, but then that that pit and being brought out of that pit is just the beginning, and now you've got to continue to get back on track to doing what humans were originally designed to do. And a lot of the emphasis for this sermon series comes from what is known as Reformed theology. And, you know, the basic idea of Reformed theology is that the church— you know, several hundred years ago, and, and you, you might know the story of Martin Luther and the 95 Theses, and, and the church was, was teaching really bad things in terms of what it meant to be a Christian. You know, you, 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 can, you can spend money and you can save your soul, and you can do these certain things to, uh, to earn salvation. And so Martin Luther came along and said basically in so many words, actually, that's not it. Salvation is by grace, through faith. And that's what the Christian life is really all about, not about what you can do, because those bad things don't get you into heaven, and bad things won't get you into heaven, and good things won't get you into heaven. So the only thing that's going to get you into heaven is just simple faith, and if you are, then it, you're saved, and that's what Christianity is all about. And I remember, because um, I grew up in a, in a Christian theological culture that was Reformed, and I remember even talking to some of my pastors and bringing up different theologians that came 
from a different camp, not fully reformed, partially reformed, whatever. And even if I would bring up another person, you know, I remember one time a pastor looking at me and going, is he reformed? Is he reformed? And I actually, I came from a Christian school, uh, Word of Life Bible Institute, that is reformed in its theology. And I remember offering to one of the teachers there several years ago to read a different author who was not reformed. And that was the question. If he's not reformed, then, then we're not going to listen to him. And here, here's my like added piece to this idea is that there are people in, in the world and theologians and Christians and whatever who think that the Reformation was almost like the Enlightenment, that it was like, oh, we're, we, we've graduated on to a whole new form of thinking, and now what was murky and what was uncertain is certain. And so whatever we thought about working hard or, 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 or what the Christian life and duty was all about or virtue, that was archaic. Now we know we've diluted. We have more interpretations of the Bible. So we can say, well, Ephesians, this is what God is really after. This is what Paul was really after. He was all about making sure people knew that it's only by grace that you're saved. And so what I find is that the Reformation it, it was not the Enlightenment. It was not the new New Testament for Martin Luther to come along and say that, you know, this, this is wrong. It was appropriate. What he did is it was a correction. It was a reaction. What the church was teaching was wrong. And so he came in and said, you're missing this piece. We need to know this piece because what the Reformation teaches about salvation by grace through faith is so important. But to say that it's everything is to overcorrect. It is to, it's to not let it just be the correction and to add to the narrative. It is a overreaction that then now we go, okay, by reacting so heavily one way, we're missing out on some of the other really important things. Um, I think right now, that there is a little bit of uh, a reformation or whatever you have have it in what is the evangelical Christian church right now, where uh, certain things that the evangelicals have believed for the past 70, 80 years, uh, for example, Billy Graham is the biggest voice for the evangelical Christian church throughout the past 100 years, and his whole ministry was predicated on this idea that, you know, there's a war and people are dying and nuclear holocaust is imminent. So we need to make sure that if people don't believe in Jesus, they understand they're going to go to hell when they die. And so Christianity kind of galvanized, took from reformed theology to it's all about salvation by grace. And if you don't, you die and go to hell and your soul goes to, to hell. And so basically all of that theology was, has been supercharged and packed over the past 50 or 60 years. And what's happening now in cultures, people are going, some of that was off. Some of that was too much. Some of that needs to be adjusted. Now, it doesn't mean that what Billy Graham, we're not going to take Billy Graham and go, oh, everything he said was wrong. Everything he did was bad. We're going to go, let's correct this. Let's get a better view of hell. Let's not use fear to motivate people to get saved. Let's evolve this and let's do better. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater every single time we learn something new. We're not always breaking through to a whole new level of information in that 
now whatever we thought before doesn't matter. Let's qualify it, let's grow, let's, let's allow it to evolve into something healthy as opposed to throwing everything out whenever this happens. And so I'm very passionate about this series because I do see, and that, that's the part I see, when I say I see, I hear, I interact with people all the time who believe that Christianity really is all about him saying, it is finished, it's done, it's not about what I do. And so this series is about, it's, it, it really is the Christian life is all about what we do. Becoming a Christian is all about what he did. And being a Christian is all about what we do. And so I, I unpacked that a lot more in the series. I'm, I'm going to unpack original purpose this weekend in, in the series, week three of, of uh, Why Look at the Sky, if you're listening to this podcast at a later time. But week three, I, I, I actually wrote what I believe the, the Genesis narrative says the purpose of human life is. I, I was telling my wife about that. I said, I, I, I wrote what I think the meaning of life is based on Genesis. I said, that scares me to even say that. Uh, and so it's everything, uh, if, it's, if it's even close to right. So uh, I, I do think it's worth grabbing onto. And, and, and so this picture of the church, the, the gathering of people who have a king who saved them and is recommissioned them to go into the human experience and do it the way that he originally designed them to do is a different way to think about the church. It's a different way to think about it. It's not just those of us who believe in Jesus and are going to go to heaven when we die. It's those of us that have been recommissioned, saved, and put back into the playing field, back into the arena to get back to the work that God originally intended for all humans to do. So that's, uh, that's a little bit of that on my footnotes. So at this time, I'm going to jump to inviting uh, John McCambridge up for a section in a segment called The Maestro. So let's bring in John McCambridge. What's up? Here he is. You guys can't see him. I can see him. And he's sitting down. What's up, man? Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Am, um, I, am I the maestro? You are today. Like You're that. the maestro today. I like it. And I remember when I put this segment together that I did study the etymology of the, of the word and phrase the maestro. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly what it means. <laughs> That's helpful. I think it means the master. Okay. Or conductor. I think of it in musical terms. Usually, yeah, the, right? the, the, the conductor. Yeah. So basically, you are the conductor today. Okay. All right, all right. So the reason I have John here, first and foremost, John is on staff at 514 Church, and he is uh, our director of operations, but also he is the teaching pastor at 514 Church. I mean, he's the one who teaches uh, most of our small group curriculum and writes it, and then he also has several classes that are more... Uh, in depth on what the gospel is, what the actual whole narrative of the Bible is, and there are things that he wrote. And uh, John recently, within the past year or so, graduated with his master's degree in in theology. Yep. 
So, John, just tell a little bit of backstory of kind of how you got to there, just briefly, with with your your education. How I how I went to seminary. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what was it? 2016. I started at the church, yep. and I came here to do operations and you know finances and HR and everything. And then I definitely found you know, and I've always had a more of a passion for I don't know the the philosophical side of um, everything. Yeah. And so that, you know, there, that is a huge piece of the, of the Christian faith. And so even on staff, I realized that that was really what I was passionate about. I came to you to talk to you about yep. that. And you encouraged me to yep. go to seminary. One of the things that had opened my eyes to the Bible and how to read it was something called the Bible Project, which yep. we talk about all the time. Yep. The creator of the Bible Project is a guy named Tim Mackey who, um, you know, I think he has a, a PhD in, in Hebrew and Semitic languages. And so he's, he's very, very brilliant. And the Bible Project breaks down how to read the Bible um, with, with an incredible amount of depth, but in videos that are very easy to understand and digest to the point where I believe that if you watch a Bible Project video 10 minutes long on a book, you will know more than your previous 20 years of being a Christian. Yeah. And so um, I decided to go to his seminary, so the place where he was the professor, and he was my Old Testament professor, so the first class that I took when I got there, the survey of, you know, most of the Old Testament, he taught that. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I was already kind of like a fanboy, and I was just kind of like... You went to the maestro. This is amazing. Yeah. And and so, you know, it was was basically three years full, uh, part-time. Yep. Uh, without without a break, and then it was December 2020 that, yeah. that I that I graduated. So, if you haven't ever watched the Bible Project videos, there's an app now. You need to go watch it. It is what John's saying. It's like on a graph when you like, if you look at a graph, and then optimization is up at the top right. It's like density of information and simplicity are like maxed yeah. out in these vid- in these yeah. videos. Yeah, and and everything from topics to words to you know to books of the Bible. We've had a discussion that uh, if someone was like, I want to learn the Bible and I don't want to go to college or whatever, yeah, you could just literally go through this Bible project catalog of things they have. And you might have what is almost the equivalent to like an associate's degree in, in Bible just by yeah. watching these videos. So anyone should do it. The reason that John is here is because at 514 Church, we have um, four seasons that we lead our church through to focus on on these four main pillars of the faith. And, and so, you know, those four seasons map throughout the year with the seasons. So with winter, spring, summer, and fall, we have a season of learning, and then we have a season of serving, a season of connecting, and then we have a season of inviting. And so we're in the season of learning. And so that's why I have John here, because I want to have a discussion with John about learning. Mm-hmm. And about the importance of learning, and uh, honestly, your take on learning, your process of learning, the importance of learning, and that's kind of like a pretty broad in- in introduction mm-hmm. into learning. But uh, I just want to kind of give you the floor for a second. Yeah. What What is it about learning? One of the things about John is John and I were in the same small group for five years, and John always you know, had this perspective on things that was like, 
everyone's looking through one end of the hose and then John speaks and it's like, whoa, that was like the other side of, of this thing. I didn't, I never saw that. And it was just so obvious that John had, uh, this kind of wonderful mind to to process academics and ask questions and philosophy. So I do I do want you to you know just give a little bit of what what is learning to you? What is it about? Why do you do it? Why should people do yeah. it? Yeah. And just take it to, just take us there for a minute. Yeah, so I mean the first thing I would say about learning is that I think it's a in some ways it's a disposition that certainly comes more naturally to some people than others. And so for me, it's, it's really, you know, information, kind of understanding, like looking at various sides of things, being curious, like that, that's always been kind of the way that, that I am. Yeah, naturally. Naturally. And when it comes to faith, you know, I've actually never known faith through any other lens. And wh- what I mean by that is uh, when I was 15 years old, someone uh, at Young Life shared the gospel with me for the first time. And I was around that. And I don't really know if I really like believed it, but I was there and I saw what they were claiming and I saw like how deeply they believed it. And there was something that I intuitively understood about the fact that like either this is true and it's like the most important thing ever or it's not true and it doesn't matter. Yeah. And so the beginning of my faith journey was kind of like, as like an arrogant teenager, I was like, well, I guess I just need to figure out if it's true or not. Right. And the way that you do that, or the way that I understood how to do that was to kind of dive into information, to understand the arguments for and against. And so for years, I was kind of like in that world. And then of course, that's much more complicated than my 18 year old brain thought that it was going to be to, to figure out if the story of Christ was true But that was my initial kind of foray into the world of faith was apologetics, um, you know, apologetics for Christianity, apologetics Mm -hmm. that were Mm -hmm. against Christianity. And so some of the the tension that people struggle with when you want to learn something new, the the insecurity or the fear, Mm -hmm. you know, that that is less for me because in faith, that's how it's always been for me. That, right. So I've never really walked in a space where it's like, oh, I believe this. And if someone challenges that, that's a threat to me. I understand how people get there right? Um, and, and why that's true for a lot of people. But for me, it's not. So, so one of the things that, that's been good is it's, it's allowed me to look curiously, and I'll call it recklessly, into pretty much anything that yeah. has to do with the faith. Like yeah. there really isn't anything that scares me. Um, a different tradition, a different uh, understanding of a topic. Um, and so, you know, what has happened to me is that that's been very, very rich mm-hmm. in terms of, of my life. Like one of the reasons uh, I think people sometimes think that I come at things from a different perspective is because I'm, I'm reading different types of things or yeah. listening to different types of voices. And, you know, there are times where that's certainly disorienting and you have to have people around you that can help you kind of sift through that, that can keep you grounded, um, where it's not like every new idea you hear now becomes your new your truth. center, and, yeah. Um, but, but if you have that kind of infrastructure, then my opinion is kind of like the sky's the limit. How do you, how do you make sure w- with, with the Christian faith? Yeah. So you, you're, you're believing your faith values historicity, scripture, mm-hmm. truth. How would you instruct someone to go on a journey of never-ending learning and stay true 
to the fundamentals of the faith. Because one of the problems yeah. people have with learning yeah. is, you know, you learn this stuff about God and whatever, and then you you learn some new things and suddenly that disproves it or it, it is a threat, like right. you mentioned, to disprove it. Right. And of course, right now in, in the world, this whole deconstruction right. word is like, it's a buzzword right. and I don't think people quite understand what it means or even understand if it's, if it's, they think it's probably way worse than it actually is, but the process of that is yeah. important. So just how, what would you say to someone that's well, like, going, my, how much should I learn? Yeah, I mean, my actual, uh, one of my takes on deconstruction is that a lot of the reason that this is happening is because of a, of a lack of learning and a lack of curiosity and a lack of growth in the intellectual side of the faith. Because a, a lot of times what happens is that we get faith constructed for us as children, and this is important. It's handed to us. Yeah, and it has essentially, to be. It's yeah. the job of the church. Right. Like, this is what our children's ministry is doing. Yep. They're, they're handing yep. and constructing a faith for a, for a kid. And because the kid goes to church because the parents go to church, there comes a point in the kid's life where that connection to church becomes less. It's usually middle school, and then in high school you have freedom, and then in college you have total freedom. And so what what my kind of read on a lot of the deconstruction stuff is that your faith gets constructed to the point of, a, of an 11-year-old. And then it you, pauses. It pauses, but you move into a world of increasing complexity. And if an 11-year-old's faith is never going to stand up to a 30-year-old's world and experience, it's yeah. too simple. Yeah. And yet the Christian faith and the biblical story, in my opinion, is the most complex, nuanced, you know, advanced story that has ever been told the things that we struggle with in terms of things like why is there evil in the world that's in there yeah the, the things that we struggle with in terms of why do good things happen to bad people why mm -hmm. do bad things happen to good that's in there in, yeah you know any any of these like really hard like oh I've, i i think i've found the way to deconstruct this faith yeah it's like for an 11 year old and, and yeah. i don't mean that disrespectfully i just no, mean no. that in the sense that you know a lot of people stop growing but their world continues to grow and their experiences continue to grow and become more complex. And, and that faith that stopped has no chance of holding up and so to, they, to they their reality. Abandon ship in a sense and grab onto whatever else is readily available, whether but, it's an educator or right. some new idea and or some old idea. And they don't know that what they've done is they've abandoned an 11 year old faith. Right. You know, and so um, now that's not everything. No, like you know, a lot of deconstruction might come from church abuse or bad experience. Right, sure, and those things are all legitimate or bad. Like the the faith that was bad handed teaching. was bad. Yeah, right. But if you get like an orthodox view of who Jesus is, and then yeah. you, you you don't grow it, and you don't continue to learn, mm -hmm. you're bound to to not think that what you knew then lines up with what you're experiencing now. So deconstruction right. is, in a lot of ways something uh, of a of a movement of people catching up of people starting to ask the real questions again of you know because a lot of times people deconstruct right then reconstruct and all that is is yeah they should yeah they should fill in the gaps right right i mean yeah i mean I, I think if you deconstruct something you've been given in order to reconstruct something something better yeah that's a good thing right I mean, that, that happens to most people throughout their, their faith walk. And sometimes that happens constantly yeah. because you have to, you know, I mean, like I said, this is, you know, the, the Bible is the most complex, right. you know, 
commentary on reality and history and, and, and who we are and humanity and, and God and theology that is a, that, that we have. Yeah. It's, it is quite literally one of the most ancient documents that we have. And so th- there's really a never ending, you know, spiral of, of how you can get something out of that. Yeah. But, but it does take intentionality. Right. And you it know, takes adding to, it takes developing, right? right? Don't, don't throw, I mean, if you're, you learn who Jesus is and then suddenly it doesn't line up with whatever you're experience, experiencing, a lot of people do the both and or either or thing instead of, okay, right. let me dig more into this faith. Let me see how this matures into the space that I'm in. Right, right, right. Maybe there are some things to abandon. Yeah. But then maybe, like you said, if it's better or if it makes sense or, or now it becomes more clear, this is all, this is good. Right. So people need to continue to explore, continue to learn, continue to push, learn new things, and not necessarily be afraid. Do you feel like... Yeah, I think that's true. Do you feel like there's a supernatural component to the truth of the Bible that if you continue to get to the roots of it and the guts of it and you're affected by it, that, I mean, there's a lot of powerful teaching out there. There's a lot of mm-hmm. worldviews and paradigms and philosophies that really stand up and, and hold a lot of water. Mm-hmm. How do you... What would you say to someone that's like trying to figure out what's the most true? How do yeah. we make sure? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, my experience with the Bible is that in terms of, you know, if you want to talk about like um, data and like history, in terms of an ancient document, it stands up very, very well. Yeah. I mean, you know, we might have a couple manuscripts of things from Plato. And we, I mean, we have thousands of manuscripts from the of, Bible. Yeah, of the Bible. Yeah. Ancient, ancient documents. And, um, you know, so, so, so even in that sense, like what you and I would think of as like the scientific method sense of truth, I think that that the Bible stands up. But the other thing is that, you know, I think the most important thing about the Bible is that to what it is teaching us, what it shows us is, is our reality. Yeah. Like if you're a Christian, then you believe that that is the story. It's not right. a story. Right. It's not an illustration. Right. That you, you as the church have stepped into that reality, which means that, that it's, it's real. Yep. And so for me, experientially, the Bible is true. Right. And that's certainly not the only you know, way to, to, to view that. But I do look at a lot of the promises of, of what, what you and I would probably refer to as secularism. It's not true. Yeah. And that bears itself out in people's life in in time. Yeah. And so that's an important component. Like, you know, it's not to say that whatever you feel is true, but it's to say that, you know, we're, we're not trying to describe a theology. We're trying to describe reality who God is and who we are and how that fits together in, in real life. And, I mean, my experience is that it holds up. Yeah, we, We've opened up such a vast yeah. ocean of things to talk about. You, you, I think you were one of the first people to, to teach that I heard teach, you know, read the Bible um, literally, not literally. Mm-hmm. So tell people what that means, because I think one of the biggest problems in learning yeah. is back to what, what you alluded to, what people learned. Yeah. You know, they, they read something. There's plenty of hot button issues. Uh, Ephesians do not get drunk with wine. Yeah. Right. So, okay. If I'm going to read that literally, 
then it just means, you know, to a lot of people with a little added push, it means you just never drink or touch alcohol or right. whatever that it meant. Right. Talk, talk about just a little bit about the handling of, of learning the Bible the right way. Yeah. So, so I think the first thing to understand, in my opinion, is that you, you zoom out before you zoom in. So, mm-hmm. so I think that the Bible is a story from beginning to end, that mm-hmm. it's an, a unified narrative. And when we actually step into that narrative. So the first level of understanding the Bible is understanding the story. Right, not the, not the, the uh, not the interpretation of First Kings two, right? Specifically, right. In order to interpret First Kings two, yeah. you have to understand where that fits in the narrative, in the narrative story. Right. It would be like opening up, you know, uh, to a page in in you know the Harry Potter series and, and reading that page and trying to understand what it right. means without right. reading what came before it. Right. And then even if sure. you read what came before it, the meaning of that's going to change based on what came after right, it. Right, right, of course. So it's just, it is a simple idea of context. Yeah. But people are not taught to read the Bible that way. People are taught to read it devotionally, which yeah. I think is is good when you have when the you context. When you have that. But, you know, you, you did a, a message of, a few months ago, or, or I guess before Christmas, you know, on, on Romans 8.18, right? Right, yeah. Which which is something that people quote all the time. 8.28, yeah. Uh, 8.28, yep. yeah. All things work, yep. Yeah, all things work together for the mm-hmm. good. Of, yes. yes, and that there's there's an in, enormous amount of truth in that. But you have to understand what Paul means right. when he says yes. that. And the only way you're going to understand what a rabbi like Paul means when he says that is if you understand what Paul believed about, yeah. you know, cr- what we would call Christianity, but what they would call yeah. the the messianic fulfillment of the Jewish faith. Right. If you don't understand that, then then you're going to have some, you know, some difficulties with with a lot of the Bible. Which, by the way, is the reason that most people skip most parts of the Bible. It's very hard. There's to a few understand. things. Yeah. There's a few play. There's a few greatest hits that people go to, um, and it's not because they're lazy, and it's not because people are dumb. It's because there's a lot that you have to go through and learn in order to understand the context yeah. that can help you properly you know, pull meaning out of, out every of every section, out of the section. Now, in terms of how you read the different sections, literally, literally. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, a good example is like in Exodus. So, so they go through the Exodus and, um, Exodus 14 describes, you know, in narrative form, how they went across the dry land mm-hmm. to the other side. Exodus 15 is a song of Moses which is a poetic retelling of, of that. The, of that, yeah. And it's different. Different, yeah. So you have to ask yourself, like, is one of those true? And one of, and them one of them's right. fake? And, right. And either Exodus 15 is lying to us or Exodus 14 is lying to us? Or would you just say, like, those are two different artistic ways to tell a story of the reality of God? I mean, yeah. you know, that event was the foundation of the of the the Jewish people in the nation of Israel in terms of who they thought they were and who they thought God was. So yeah, they have a poem yeah. and they have a narrative retelling and they are different. And there's details in the poem that they do not talk about in in yep. the, the narrative. Um, and actually, my, my sense now is that good, you know, most people think that's okay now. They, they understand that, um, you know, it's a historical document written by people that mm-hmm. are doing these things. 
and, and so you have to know that it's okay that it was told this way mm-hmm. historically. And then there was a part that's telling the story of a guy wrote a song and it was yeah. more artistic and all those types of things. People for a long time, and maybe they still do, they look at that and they go, see, this means it's not true, right? which is kind of ridiculous. One of the things I heard Tim Mackey say is that reading the Bible literally means to understand and know the author's intention. Mm-hmm. So you can't read something and go, this is what it means. You have to know yeah. what the author meant. Right. So that may, that may be a lot. How do, how, how do we know what the author meant? Like where I go is I don't know what the author meant. <laughs> yeah. And I, that, that, that's, that's the glass ceiling mm-hmm. because I look to guys like him to tell me not just what that thing says, how that got there, who wrote it, yeah. what context they wrote it in, what language they wrote it in, which was connected to the language of the time. I need someone to broaden that for me. Yeah. I need someone to go, here's the broader context of what was going on. Here's the history behind this. Right. Um, so in, in your mind, like, how do we, how do we help people get to the in- actual intention yeah. when they're learning something. Yeah. So, so, you know, I guess what you're saying is I think the right move, which is to find some kind of, you know, sage yeah, who specializes yeah. in that. If you want to get into like the detail details. Right. But one of the things about reading it as a story is that, you know, you have to interpret it based upon that story. Right. So there's a lot of things that I think are commonly believed amongst Christians that are either overemphasized or underemphasized or or simply not true yeah. because it doesn't actually fit with like the narrative right. structure right. of the story and they don't know that the, narrative, the, the structure. narrative structure and so it's not like you know they're they're purposely saying I believe this thing that's against that yeah but you know so so I think like honestly step 1 is to understand the grand, the grand narrative, narrative the, the, the meta narrative of it, because, you know, there's all kinds of things that people have figured out in order to understand authorial intent. Yeah. You have to understand the worldview the of world the author. Of the, yeah, right. Exactly. Like I said, this and is, that's history, man. Well, that this is, is one of the most ancient documents yeah, that we have in the right. world. So what did a, you know, a Hebrew person in, in Babylon, right. in the exile, 500 years before before Jesus think about the world. Right. Well, they thought very differently than you did. Right. And we have a tendency to say like, well, we had the scientific revolution. We understand the material aspects of the world better than they did. So actually like we're smarter than them. Right. But actually like when you start to read the way that they thought about the world, the way that they thought about God, the way they thought about themselves and the story that they were a part of, they they actually have a much more advanced and true, in my opinion, understanding of the world, even if they don't know what an atom is. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, we talk about atoms and molecules, but we don't think we about don't the know world what, like that. Right, and we don't actually know what they are. No. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Let's be honest. And we don't think about the world like that. Right. Like when you think about light, there's like a debate, is it energy, is it particles, maybe it's both. This is this whole scientific debate. That's not actually the way that you and I experience light. Yeah, right. So the fact that we know that, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have a better understanding of light than everyone else in a specific way we do. 
But, you know, the, the, and so to understand their worldview, there are resources to be able to do yeah. that. There's ancient Mesopotamian literature. There's, you know, in terms of uh, around the time of Jesus, there's other Jewish writings. There's information about the Roman Empire. Yeah. There's, you know, extra biblical sources that you can cross check with the Bible, which is what these experts do. Right. Um, and it's a grind. And it's a grind, but, but I mean, they give their life to it, Yeah, you know, right. I mean, that's, you know, you get a PhD in it and, and then you gifted. do research in yeah. it and then you teach on yeah. it. And, and so, um, you know, I think N.T. Wright has yeah. been a big help, yeah. uh, at this church with that kind of stuff because he's a historian. Right. So what he is really doing is, you know, he's not just a great communicator and writer. He understands ancient worldview. Yeah, history. Yeah, the world. And so, it's, yeah. he, so when he talks about what Paul means when Paul writes this, it's because he he understands what rabbinical Jews believed and thought and practiced it's, at that time. You know, which we, is what Paul was. We which, look at the letter from the time in the translation of our language. Yeah, he Google Maps into. The environment, yeah, and basically like almost like virtue, r- virtual reality lives in it right. because he studied. He knows what it smells like and what the sounds are, and he he's in the world because yeah. he has such a broad historical. And then he can go, oh, I went to the market today. Yeah. I know what this means because right. it doesn't just you know. So there's so much to it. I the o- the only thing I'll add, like in terms of like to be helpful for people is that you don't have to be like that to, to have understand a, yes. and to be able to read the Bible. Like, I, I seriously believe that what you need is to know the story. Yeah. And then you know where the pieces and the parts fit in the story. And then you can grow on that and you can yeah. fill in. And, and, and so and John... you want to know what N.T. Wright believes about the first century, you know, Greco-Roman culture, you can research you can read that about if that. you want. Yeah. You don't have to know that to read your English translation of the Bible and to get right. what it means out of it. But I would say you do have to know the narrative, like you said. You have to have someone that can teach it to you. You have mm-hmm. to have someone that understands it. So uh, John actually teaches the the biblical narrative in, in a class here called The Beginning, where he takes you through the whole narrative of the Bible. And countless people have said that that perspective of the narrative and seeing the scripture first and foremost from from the story and the the zoom out perspective before zooming in has been a game changer for them and their faith in learning. Yeah, because it's like you're using it the way that it was intended to be yes. used. When yes, you, when you when you're using something, and you do need someone to tell you because you know it just it's a book and you pick it up and you just start reading page one. Yeah. Right. So in order to understand it, you have to know what it is, right. what the authors right. were up to, right. and understand the links of thousands of years yeah. and a story that is cohesive that leads to Christ, which is bizarre. Yeah. But you know, when you're reading Second Kings chapter or First Kings chapter two, you are reading something that's connected yeah, to something, and you sure. just—it's very hard to know that. So it is important to have someone right. teach you that, and that's what learning is all about. I um, uh, two more things. One is you mentioned it initially, and it's the disposition of learning that mm-hmm. I heard. Our, uh, and it's the idea of you got to go after this. Like if you want to learn, you can learn. And um, so there's this little bit of an axiom on learning and how like the scriptures say pride, knowledge puffs up and causes pride, mm-hmm. but you know, God gives grace to the humble and all these types of things. And, and so how do you maintain humility when 
and, and that, that could be a specific you. Like, John, yeah. how do you stay humble? I mean, you're very smart. You constantly learn. How do you stay humble in the context of, because I'll tell you, man, I study all the time. I read stuff. When I know something new, I'm like, woo, I feel alive. You know, like I feel yeah. authoritative and I feel command and I feel uh, confident. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be easy to, to become arrogant because I know something, particularly if it's like I know something you don't know or right. whatever. So what, what's your process in staying humble I heard, uh, you know, a, a great guy give a definition uh, of humility saying what you don't know is more important than what you do know. Yeah. So kind of like put, constantly there's a carrot. Like don't, don't think you might know something. Yeah. But don't, <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. And that, that's been a little bit helpful for me. What, what are your. Yeah. Um, so for me, learning is a humbling experience if you look at it the right way, because it means that you just learned something that you didn't know. Yeah. So you might've, so you think about the fact, like if you're, if you're a teaching pastor or a preacher um, or a leader of a small group and you know, you're, you're teaching in some kind of authoritative way, but then you open up a book and it blows your mind. It's like, yeah, it should be humbling. Yeah. You know? And, And so for me, because what happens as you learn is you start to build what I would call like a, like a library of like sources and then like people are connected to those sources. And so you start to read those people and and it's kind of like these webs that you draw. And so if you have a good source, you know, catalog, then it is truly that any book you pick up is going to teach you something that is new and sometimes in dramatic ways. Yeah. And to me, that, that's always struck me as like, wow, um, you know, there's a sermon, let's just say that I preached three years ago Yeah, that I wouldn't preach it that way now. Yeah, not, oh, yeah. And now I'm not saying like I said anything that I would go back and say like that's not true. It, w- it wasn't wrong or but bad. I would, but I would articulate it yes. differently because I just learned this thing yes. and I went down this path. And that means that, you know, you should always come at it from the standpoint of, of humility what can happen to people, even people who are good at learning, is they learn more and more and more about what they already believe is true. Mm. So that can help you. It can help sharpen the tools of the true things that you know, and you should do that from time to time. But if you're not challenging your those, thoughts, those views, and you're not reading things that are making you think about everything totally differently, like you, you, if you uh, follow somebody... Uh, I think you were talking earlier about like reformed theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're like in that world, like you should be able to read somebody who totally challenges reformed yes. theology and be able to try to hold your own against it or yeah. to learn from it or Adjust, to disprove yeah. it or whatever, but you should be able to interact with it. Yeah. I, you know, I'm always hesitant when I see people who say like, I have never read that guy, but like, I don't like him. Right. I think, I think he's a heretic. Yeah. And it's like, like, what do he say? Right. It's like, I don't, I don't know, but right. I, that's what I think about him. Yeah. And so like, that's not being humble in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Because you're saying what you believe, you know, is right. Yeah. Therefore there's no point yeah. in, in opening up anything else. So, so you're saying learning is humble, like going after more. And learning you, is humble and it should be humbling. It should be humbling. The experience yeah. should yeah. be humbling. I that's think, good. In and uh, no, I mean, it should be, it's hard. Yeah. If you actually, I think what you said is critical. If you bring in other voices, other schools of thought, it, it should be 
humbling. That's one of the reasons I struggle with it sometimes is it's, it's exhausting. Yeah, it is. It's just like, Oh my gosh, this whole other thought. I mean, I, but, but, but I have found that anytime I do that, that it's just at the end of the day, it's helpful. Yeah. You know, it either clarifies something I already thought it adds flavor or color to what I already thought, or it helps me answer a question because even in my, whatever school of thought I have, there's plenty of questions. Yeah. And it, it might add a piece. And so I, I don't know. My thing is like, I want, I want our church to not be afraid to learn, yeah. to not chase it down, to not listen to other authors, just because you're reading someone who is, we read, a, we both read a book by him. I think an atheist who wrote the book, uh, Desire the the Everlasting Hills or um, the gift of the, the gift Jews. of the Jews. Yeah, Thomas Cahill. Yeah, yeah. He, he he's not a Christian, right? Right. I read another book by um, the the triumph of the triumph of Christianity. Bart Ehrman. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, these guys add so much flavor and right. so you know. Anyway, so I don't I don't think people should generally be afraid of learning. Right. And that's what I, I one piece I want people. To we take have away. we have this conversation a lot. Usually, what happens when we start to like learn a new paradigm or, yep. or a new something that that's dramatically new is it doesn't it doesn't actually take anything that we have that makes us say that is actually not true actually this is true and it usually just kind of like resets yeah. the emphasis yeah. that we put on certain teachings yeah. or doctrine or or you know areas where it's like it's not that what you knew before isn't true it's that there's more to it more to it or that there's a little bit of a different yeah. lens to see yeah. it through. Yeah. And so like I cannot remember the last time I read something that was like, oh, as a Christian, I believe this critical thing. Now I don't believe that anymore. Right. It's almost always a reorientation or a shifting, which people do at their jobs, yeah. people do at any sort of expertise yeah. that they have. And so I don't think that's scary. Yeah. Learn learn something new, right? Like push yourself relax, let it affect you. Yeah. Don't, don't change your life and sell your house after you read a new book or whatever. Just like, <laughs> like chill for a moment. Yeah. Talk to someone about it. Talk yeah. about what you've learned, you know, run it by somebody, yeah. allow, allow there to be sparring in what you've learned, yeah. share it, you know, let it be tested, throw it up against the wall. See, like go on the journey of learning. It's an endless thing. We got to go to one more thing and then we got to yeah. be done. And this is a lot. Um, right now in the culture that we live in, there, there are so many streams of knowledge. How do we find reliable sources of information? I mean, <laughs> I mean, we live in a world, it's like you, you, I talked to whoever and it's I saw this on yeah. Facebook or right. I, I saw it on CNN or I tweet or my friend said it or right. what, I mean, how, so in, in your mind, just give like some way of reliability. Hmm. Yeah. So there's a, uh, there's a book it was written before COVID in 2018. His name is Martin Gurry, G-U-R-R-I. Okay. It's called the revolt of the public. Mm-hmm. And it's about how for the history of media since the printing press, the information distribution has been somewhat monopolistic. So it comes from a couple places, mm-hmm. usually controlled or influenced by the state. The internet and social media is the first time that it's been truly, quote unquote, democratized. Yeah. Where now uh, you can literally, in 2020, you could have gotten online and you could have found a community of people who believed that everybody was going to die from COVID. It was yeah. that dangerous. It was that bad. And you could literally go to the other corner of the internet and find a group of people who were equally convinced that it was fake, Yeah, that it wasn't even real. 
And so the point of the book is that it's, it's kind of good from the perspective that you take power out of the hands of, of potential tyrants when you democratize information. But it's also that we've never, ever lived in a society before where all of that information is available to everybody. So I actually think that the answer to your question, how do we know, how do we determine is like, we're not quite sure yet how to do that, how to live in this world. I mean, for you preaching on a Sunday morning, you are preaching to people who, you know, during COVID, they believe both of those things Oh yeah, at at the same time. And and and, uh, somewhere along the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And that's true of every topic of every subject now because of the access to information through social media and the internet. And in ways it's really, really beautiful, but in ways it's disorienting and it is creating what I would call um, the, the disintegration of institutions. Because why should I believe the BBC when I have this information over right. here on Twitter from somebody who's saying that's actually exactly false and opposite? Yeah. So, you know, for me, um, you know, I guess I'm making... What is truth, right? I guess I'm... Yeah, right. Which is what Pilate asked Jesus. Um, For my my way that I do this is is like, you know, my assumption at this point, like one of the presuppositions I bring to the table is that I believe in the Christian worldview. So like I'm a Christian and I believe that's the reality of the world. And like, yeah, things challenge that sometimes and, and it comes, you know, that comes into tension with things, but like that is my North star. So like, you know, the, the scriptures, learning the scriptures, understanding the scriptures, understanding what that means in my life, that is the thing that orients the direction of my life, sometimes better than other times. But in general, that is what I have committed myself to. Hmm. So, you know, I honestly am not willing to just chase a rabbit trail away from that because somebody out there says I should. Part of being a Christian and being a disciple is that you do, you know, put your feet firmly, plant them in the ground, and you do have a steel spine. And, you know, you, you do stand for, for, for that. But that's a very, like, specific part of, of your life. Right. How do you, how do you tell... What, what wisdom for people that they just don't know what to believe? How do they know if it's true? Yeah, I mean, I, my, my, my method on that is to find people that you trust. Yeah. Like, you know, it is possible that somebody, some information source is constantly lying to you and they have an agenda and all of that. Um, you know, usually, usually you can tell when that's true if you're looking for it. Because yeah. of if the you way- really care, is this true? Is right. this reliable? Is this a is this a real study? Because of the way the information is presented. Um, so just tell a little bit more about that. What what do you mean? Well, you know, it depends on what you want to know if this is true or not. Yeah. But if it has something that should have something to do with data, then the person who's presenting whether it's true or not, they should have data. And do, and, do, do and you look at of, who is this person? Um. Who is this person? So they got data, but where are they coming from? Yeah, yeah. What's their platform? Why are they famous? Why do they have influence? Uh, where does that come from? But agenda. But, and, and so, like, but sometimes that's hard to parse. Yeah, online. yeah, yeah. My recommendation to people is if it's something that they care about, if it's something that is potentially going to create relational strife in their life, if it's going to change the course of their life, then they need to humbly learn about it. Yeah. Which one of the things that people are genuinely a lot of times unwilling to do 
is to look at what it is that they're saying is wrong. Yeah. So they're saying this is true, this is false. Maybe it's because this guy said it and I trust him, which is a good place to start. But to understand the other side of it, why is that false? Why don't I believe that? What are they trying to say? And in good faith, to look at that, that's really the only way you're ever going to give the the truth a shot. Yeah. Because it is easy to to uh, you know create a sage out of, you know, let's say someone a partisan source. Yeah. And you just follow them wherever they go. Yeah. Um yeah. but the interesting thing about that is that just from an outside perspective, you can look at that source and you can know what they're going to think about every topic. Right, once you get it. So once you understand where that's not from. interesting yeah. to yeah. me. Yeah. And if I have relationships where they're going to be affected by that, um, or it's going to affect my life in some way, like you should know what you believe and you should Mm -hmm. know why you believe it. Yeah. Um, And that takes humility and that takes time. Yeah. And one of the issues is, is that like it, it means that you can't just start posting about it. Well, that no one knows that. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I think that's one of the reasons why people want to do it because it's like, Oh, I learned this thing. Come off as authoritative. This thing, so I'm going to post about it. But it's like, well, what if that's not true? Right. Like you need to, you know, you need to really think about it. But but it's it's humility. It's trying to be humility. It's understanding that you don't know what you don't know. Yep. Wait. Um, Ask multiple critical thinking. You get into all that stuff. I mean, that that to me is where my mind goes to is just don't you know don't buy into something right away. Right. Like whatever you believe in, I mean, you put your faith in Christ. I hope that you've done a little more thinking about it than just, you know, one read through of the book of John. I mean, you know, so you're not going to base your whole life and relationships off of just a couple posts and a couple videos and a couple things. Don't be so easily, you know, drawn away by some new idea. Like let it, let it, let it sit for a second. Yeah. You know, let and, it and sit. understand it and understand Ask questions. Yeah. the opposite of it and, and, you know, really try to like actually grasp what it is that, that is changing your worldview yeah. and, and why. Yeah. So, so I think that like th- there's definitely ways that you can start to um, be comfortable with that yeah. in terms of like finding people that you trust, understanding the reasons that you trust them, uh, certain arguments that matter to understand, you know, the side that you're saying you believe and the other side to make sure that you have a holistic understanding. Yeah. And then to always know that in this world of information, you, there's always the risk. Right. That that what you're believing is like not true. Right. And what they're believing is true. Yeah. And to hold with open hands to some degree. Right. I I have found for me that my faith in what it means to be in the world, mm-hmm. you know, in every, in every effort to be humble, as hard as it is to be gentle, to be patient, that how, how the Christian faith tells me to be in the world has been the biggest help for the overwhelming stream of information that comes at me. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I go, I don't know that. Wow, that overwhelms me. Oh my gosh, is that true? Right. And and regardless, my faith has a place for if that's true or if it's not. Yeah. Because it tells me how to be. Yeah. It tells me how I'm supposed to live. It tells me how I'm supposed to respond. Mm-hmm. It tells me that it's not all even about being right. Right. I don't even, I mean, I don't have to be right about everything. Right. Now, I'm not saying learning's not important. I mean, that's not obviously not true. But what I'm saying is, is that 
I'm not looking for a smoking gun yeah. because I kind of have one in the sense that Jesus is the way that I'm living my life. Right. And nothing's really going to like take me off of that. Now I'm going to think differently about the world if something presents itself as, you know, reliable and true and, and all that stuff. And I may change some things, Yeah. but not generally speaking, it's not going to like totally throw me off. Right. Anyway. Okay. All right. So next week, uh, in the next episode, we're gonna we're gonna dive into this a little bit more. Cool. And John's gonna talk about a couple of things that he's learned specifically and take us through some of some of those things. So we'll dive into that. It'll be a lot of fun. So we're gonna end up today uh, just to close it out with a little bit of fun. And this is just where for that we close for two minutes and we talk about something that I'm excited about. So this is I'm excited. <laughs> there's always something, John. I like it. There's always like it. there's always something that gets me fired up. <laughs> um, it's usually a combination of things, and just like anything else, I don't I don't always I don't dive in right away. But once I hear about it, and once I get a little information, yeah. and I learn, and I've learned some things about this mm-hmm. thing I'm about to tell you, and you know it, that is really exciting, <laughs> and it is it is as basic as coffee. Um, I. We, we just got put in New Albany to Sheets. If you don't know what Sheets is, oh, yeah. look up Sheets. Sheets is like a super duper gas station. I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, some people on our staff say it's a restaurant that also has gas. Gas, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's basically the, it is the mecca of college students. Like if you are in college, you want a Sheets nearby. Because they have like, they're open 24 hours a day. Yeah. They have all kinds of food, so sandwiches and burgers and fried food and some healthy food, but it's like made to order. Yep. So you you know it's relatively quality for for what it what it is and how fast you can get it and how cheap it is. Open all the time, and then they kind of have everything. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a Pennsylvania thing. It's a right? Pennsylvania thing because we have people on staff that love it because they're yeah. from Pennsylvania. So so I learned this week because mm-hmm. Jackie and I have a sheets I drive by right. By my house every single day and i i like to get coffee for my team for you for carmen it's one of the ways that i i don't even know if i like to tell you it's this. a perk it's a perk for you yeah but for me what it is 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 an exercise in making sure that i don't think only about myself it's good so every day i try to make sure like you know basically when i learn something like it becomes really real and this is a way way tangent but like when i learn something it's like it matters or it doesn't right like so i learned years ago that you know if you say you love god and you don't love people then you don't love god so I, every single day i want to make sure like i'm loving god by just doing something intentionally kind for people so i just want to make sure that i don't think i'm always thinking about myself so i just try to do i try to get coffee it's simple it's little but it, it's, a, it's a good exercise for me so i get coffee and i've always like gotten starbucks yeah and that's expensive yeah so if you get three coffees, even if they're like just normal coffees, you're 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 north, you're in two the, the double digits. Yeah. So Sheets has really good coffee. Okay. I like their coffee. Their coffee is You've been buying it for me lately. Ground fresh. Okay. So they have one of those machines where it's like the beans are in the top. Yeah. And when you press the so touch screen. So it's not like a gas station carafe. No, no, no. It's not just like, no, it's not like they have to make it and redo it because okay. it sits. Yeah. It's not made. And then you press the screen and they, it makes it right in front of you. All right. And then they have multiple different beans and they're all pretty good. And it, a cup is 99 cents. Yeah. That's, that's a good price. 
How much is a Starbucks? Three bucks? Well, I don't, I don't even know. I don't know. Two, two something? Yeah, whatever. Three dollars. Two, yeah. two fifty. Well, I don't know. But it is. And then they have a, um, they have a deal where you can pay $15 a month and get unlimited coffee. That's well, okay. Every hour you can, you, every two hours yeah. you're allowed to have a, a, any every type two hours? every two hours. So now I'm driving up to the drive through and I can order it on my phone. Yeah. I can time the order so that it's ready when I pull by. <laughs> so I just drive by. It's on the way to the office. There's I, a drive through there? Drive through. And then I just, it's ready. It's getting better and better, man. I mean, so 30 minutes earlier, I ordered three cups of coffee. I said, I'm going to be there at nine. I drive up. It's totally ready. It's $1.97 because I get one free and then 99 cents for, dude. It's amazing. That's a good deal. I don't know what to tell you guys. What do you think about the quality of the coffee? Are you I, satisfied? It's it's a B plus. <laughs> it's Wait, a, what, what Starbucks? Well, Starbucks feels a little more consistent. Yeah. And it feels a little more niche in terms of how they burn their beans. It has a flavor that's yeah. so unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So something about that makes it feel like it's hard to beat it from like a mass-produced coffee perspective. Mm -hmm. But for price, overall value, sheets. All right. So you're in. I'm in, man. You got a member? Is this a membership? Fifteen dollars. It's it's a uh, it's a subscription. It's a subscription. And does it come with other things? Like, could you get like slushies and no. stuff? No. Well, too? yeah, anything, any drink. Wow. I mean, have you have you tapped into that? Nope. Yet? Nope. But I'm thinking about going going back and doing uh, like Code Red again, <laughs> getting back on the Mountain Dew kick every now and again. I mean, why I not? mean, it's a college kid's absolute dream. Yeah. This place. Anyway, all right, guys. So that's the rest. Uh, thank you for being a part of the the uh, the podcast today, and we'll connect with you guys again uh, for the next episode. Love you guys.